Welcome to another episode of Talking Upstream, which is literally my favorite show that comes on Sundays where Dylan is on my right instead of my left. That really bugs me out when he does that. But this is my favorite show of all of those shows. And if you know our show, then you might know us. We are some nobodies. My name is Zach. This is Dylan over here. He is at Vorpal Nerds. What? What? That's not true. Oh, that's not true. You're right. Oh, my God. Why are you doing that? I screwed up. Come on. That's not funny. That's better. Anyway, he's at Vorpal Words on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Corporal Nerds, uh, which is a joke that nobody likes except for me, which is fine. Uh, but what we do in this show is we find some of our favorite creators. We find people that have uh, created our favorite, uh, uh, I don't know, anything, comic books, podcasts, uh, non-edible uh, eatables. No, that's probably not it, right? Well, Whatever, yeah, kind it, of. Right, it's just edibles. That, that one time. Uh, <laughs> and also novels sometimes, which is why we have our guest today. And I'm going to let Dylan uh, bring them up, if uh, yeah. that's okay with Mr. Dylan. So today, please welcome to the show Dylan Furman. He's a novelist, playwright, screenwriter, uh, general creative. Uh, Dylan, thank you for coming on the show. Yes, thank you guys for inviting me on the show. I really, uh, really am excited to, to do this. It's nice to have uh, another Dylan here. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was really Dylan. Please bring up Dylan, uh, which is funny because I'm usually trying to get rid of a Dylan. Now I'm bringing yeah. him up. Um, but anyway, you know, yeah, first and foremost, thank you very much for taking your time. Uh, awesome, awesome group of novels. Um, now, if you want to tell people real quick where they might have seen you or, or heard you or read you. Um, well, I, I'm just kind of more kind of like an underground esque, you know, screenwriter. Um, I just mostly publish my work on Amazon. Um, like originally, like it started off as like three books of trilogies. It's like a three trilogy book, like screenwriting in, in novel format. Um, and then uh, after I got done writing that, I kind of had like a little uh, hiatus from screenwriting. And then I came back and I decided to do something a little different. You know, I am doing another trilogy of books, but un- but not kind of like in this in the universe I created. In the first trilogy, the second trilogy is more like taking place in the city of Chicago. Um, so that's kind of um, where I'm at right now, and at this point in, in my screen in my career of screenwriting. Yeah, I absolutely love that, and and I like I like the idea of, of having trilogies as far as novels go because you know I think it's one of the things that movies try to do. It, it, it is a weird way of I guess encapsulating the three arc structure by having the first product being an arc. Now, when getting into like a novel and you have an idea, was it your original focus to make it into three books? Um, you know, that's a good question. Um, because when I was planning out my my original trilogy, it was supposed to be like a nine film arc. But obviously, like, you know, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Star Wars, you know, trilogies that they did with the original prequel and sequel, I didn't want to like you know, like become like so jumbled in my, in my head with ideas. Mm -hmm. So I just decided to incorporate some of the ideas in the nine films to three, because obviously the square root of three is nine or or not. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. The square root of three is, or the square root of nine is three. That's what I have to say. (laughs) I do the same thing. But, you know, because with trilogies, you know, like some of the best trilogies are like, like the, Sergio Leone Dollars Trilogy. Like, that's probably, to me, the definitive trilogy, you know, for me, anyways, because I'm a big fan of genres, like, whether it be action movies, westerns, horror, like, comedy, you know. I try to incorporate my love of those genres and trilogies into my original, you know, trilogy. You know, that way it gets... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you're you're fine. Keep going. I'm just saying, like, in my original trilogy, it's focused on one character. You know, I kind of use 
the man with no name, like Clint Eastwood's character, mm-hmm. and combine it with like Damien Thorne or Ferris Bueller, kind of have that those little personalities, you know, because in a way, you know, when, when, when in looking back at my original trilogy, it almost kind of resembles a Western in a sense with like slasher, you know, action oh, yeah. and, you know, kind of like dark fantasy, you know, so... Yeah. Now, for those that don't know, uh, the, the, the trilogy of books talking about is the, the Charlie Horowitz series. Um, now, very, very cool uh, series of books. Now, when coming up with Charlie Horowitz, was it the story or was it the character that was the first thing that was like, OK, this needs to be something I'd spend time with? Um, well, it, it started off with like um, story. You know, because obviously I'm a big fan of horror films and I wanted to like put my staple on it, you know, because many horror films like Kevin Williamson went with Scream, like he parodied, you know, the genre, even though it was in the same genre. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, my focus is try to make it kind of like um, like a 1970s gritty, you know, kind of film that has kind of like a 90s flavor to it, you know, because think of it as like a uh, taxi driver meets, you know, Scream. You know, where I wanted to focus on not only the story, but like the character, like focus more on the psychology of the the protagonist, because he, you know, you you tend to sympathize with him. But there are scenes in the first film script that you don't really agree with, you know, because obviously mm-hmm. in the first film script, he gets killed because of some bullies, you know, obviously due to a bullying incident gone awry. And then he meets the devil and he, you know, sells his soul to, you know, become like this superhuman, you know, badass. But, you know, at the same time, he gets revenge. And it really, like, as the killings progresses, his soul kind of, like, diminishes. Like, his humanity starts to diminish. You know, I can obviously compare that to the first Mad Max movie, you know, because... You know, he slowly becomes the criminals he's hunting down, you know, and that kind of was like the big inspiration for that as well. Mad Max. Yeah. And that, I mean, if you're going to if you're going to try to get a trilogy to, to follow, you should go with the original Max trilogy. Um, now, when you got all the way down to Requiem, was that the storyline that you knew you were going to get to? Or did you kind of sit on the very first and then second novel and be like, OK, where would you know, where would the story go? Or did you know, in, like from the beginning, this is part three well originally like i wanted to do like like standalone films in the trilogy like feel each film feeling different because with the first film it was like an homage to like the 70s of like scorsese francis ford coppola with like john carpenter and de palma and wes craven um the second one was more of like a like an action movie you know kind of like uh lethal weapon meets raiders of the lost ark with a hint of like hellraiser and Nightbreed, you know, kind of that Clive Barker as, mm-hmm. and so cool. a little bit of like Sergio Leone's spaghetti westerns, you know, mm-hmm. incorporate that. Um, the third film, I wanted this one to be kind of like a sequel to the first movie, you know, pick up where the first movie left off, but like kind of be an antithesis to the first movie where he slowly regains his his humanity and he's like on this path of redemption because obviously in the first film. He's on a path of vengeance, and on this in the second film, like it's, it's like a in betweenquel, like after my mm-hmm. lead character meets the devil and before he gets back to Earth. You know, it's kind of like a um, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, but actually, it's a a funny thing happened on the way back to Earth because mm-hmm. the whole second film takes place in hell, and I wanted to you know basically go like the Wizard of Oz route. Like now that we've seen Kansas in the first movie, now we get to see Oz, which of course is hell. Mm-hmm. So we want to be in, in hell for the second one. But the the third film to be kind of the antithesis to the first one, to be about redemption and forgiving oneself and forgiving others, while also you know because he's also getting revenge. I don't want to spoil like what the whole third film's about, but it's basically, you know, Charlie hunting down the devil, you know, for, you know, all for the a past incident in the first movie, you know, where he loses everything that the devil had a part in. So he is on this redemption, but he's slowly like 
some turns of events made him think that maybe revenge isn't, you know, like the best enemy. Cause there, actually there's a scene in the third film that I actually, as my favorite is kind of like an homage between um, evil dead, like army of darkness where like Ash is fighting his evil self and um, um, like Batman forever, like the deleted scene in Batman forever, where he's in a cave and he sees kind of the thing that he becomes Batman. And, you know, then he's like fighting himself, like he's his dark, the darkest part of himself, because it's basically like the third film is about the battle for his soul, you know, to his humanity. I mean, that's kind of what I made the third film about is basically the battle of one's soul inside. So that's kind of, yeah. No, I love that. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think that uh, it, it's cool the way that, you know, when we found out uh, about you, we, we found out through you uh, or found out about you because of a, a short called Snack Time. And um, that was very, very cool. And, you know, Dylan and I watched that a couple of times uh, the other day just to, you know, get back into, you know, focusing on this interview. Um, but then when you get to you know, Charlie Horowitz, you've, you've given yourself such a, a world to live in and so many rules and so many like things to, to, you know, to play with. Is it hard to hop out of that to tell a different story? Um, you know, uh, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I understand. I mean, you know, obviously there's in horror films, there's always certain rules you have to abide by. I mean, Scream did a good job of like setting the rules and then obviously subverting it. You know, I'm trying to like, with the first film, I was subverting kind of like the rules of like slasher movies and obviously Scorsese and, you know, Brian De Palma, Francis Ford Coppola styled films, you know, like subverting those, you know, because obviously there's no final girl in the first film because normally there's slasher movies, there's final girls, but there's no final girls because in a way my protagonist is not only the Michael Myers, but he's also Laurie Strode, you know, in a way he's his own final girl, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I just kind of had fun with that in a way so yeah i mean i'm not a, I'm, a, I'm not a huge fan of you know like like subvert like, like sticking to the rules i'd rather am a fan of subverting the rules mm -hmm. a little bit because that way it makes the story unique in its own right yeah, I completely, I completely agree with that. I mean, it, it's easy to, you know, kind of give people, you know, uh, Dylan and I, we, we interview a lot of people that have their form, uh, their format, their structure for how things go. At this minute, a turn should happen. Uh, at this minute of the the creation should should occur. So it, you know, it there is something that's like, okay, you got to stick to your thing because this is what people like and this is how they like to consume things. But that's also not the things that Dylan and I like to consume. We like to consume things where at some point you're like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, well, crap, I did not expect that whatsoever. And I think that's why Charlie Horowitz, uh, you know, really speaks to us a lot, which is cool. Um, I also have a tendency of talking way too much on this thing. So I'm going to let Dylan ask his one question per interview. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just uh, primarily I'm curious about what your writing process is, because there's a difference between writing like a screenplay and writing a novel, but Charlie Horowitz seems to be kind of like a combination somewhat of the two formats. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering like when you were creating a story, the characters, the general outline of the plot, like what was your process to sit down and get that from brain onto page? Like, did you have a specific way you went about doing that? Um, well, the first one, obviously, you know, I had, it, it was kind of like based off an incident in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, where you know I was dealing with a lot of dark issues during my senior year of high school. I was mainly you know had a concussion from foot from playing football, and um, it was kind of like a dark period in my life. And um, you know it was uh, I, 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 I when they were doing like an MRI scan on my brain, they found like a spot kind of right here in in my in my. Mm -hmm. uh, in my head and I'm just like, I, I mean, had I known that it was in there earlier, I could have died, you know, but something was keeping me alive. And that was kind of the, like the, the basis for the first film, you know, Charlie Horowitz, you know, like obviously, you know, like, like fear of death, you mm -hmm. know, like, and something keeping me alive that prevented the spot from rupturing and, causing my brain to like bleed, you know, that was kind of, um, 
you know, it started off as personal, but then it became universal as like the, um, the, as the writing went on. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Like when you sat down to get the story out, do you outline at all? Do you do any sort of like, sometimes people put scenes on note cards and just kind of rearrange them in certain processes. Sometimes people, I do bullet point lists where it's just like, this happens in set list. That happens, that happens, that happens. Next item. This happens. And then do an inset list. Do you have any sort of way that you organize the story as you go? Or are you more the person who just kind of like sits down and just writes? Straight um, you know, just, just I'm just a person who writes, you know. Like when I was writing the very first draft, it was like all improv. You know, I was just okay. improvising, you know, writing. But fortunately, I was able to take a screenwriting class and learn the techniques of how to you know, get a script written mm -hmm. in this format and how to outline, how to do all that. I mean, I've done that. But after that, I just basically did like a combination of both outline and, you know, how scenes should act and be mm -hmm. with the cut with improv. You know, I just basically just improv, you know, my scripts. Yeah, right on. No, I love that. And, you know, coming up with uh, while you were coming up with Charlie Horowitz and, you know, you keep referring to it as a film and I you know, I could tell that you can see it in your, you know, in your brain as a film. Uh, the first project Dylan and I worked on, we uh, originally designed it to be a short film, then trying to turn it into a mini series. And it was like, OK, we don't know what we're doing here. And we end up turning it into a podcast because it was the medium that we could understand the fastest. Um, now, you, I think you you said you set out to make this into a film, and then how long into that process did you realize that it would be better at that time to be a novel? Um, you know, kind of like three, four months after I graduated from college. You know, I figured that would be a good way to like say, hey, you know, here's my script in this format, and maybe it could be, you know, transformed into like this format into another format you know that way like movie producers movie studios could say hey you know there's this kid who actually wrote a script in you know this format um you know and we'd be interested in uh you know seeing what this guy has and meeting with him and unfortunately that hasn't happened yet but that's like kind of like a best case scenario kind of deal but you know i'm always you know keeping my fingers crossed that one day you know somebody at like a movie studio would, would see this and you know say hey you know we like we like what you're we like your writing and we want to hit you up so you know it's been kind of uh you know back and forth kind of process as of now yeah that's so interesting that's kind of where we are but not with mm -hmm. as impressive uh amounts of work as charlie harwitz uh you know we're just trying to uh, get known and get seen so that's why we named the show talking upstream because we're trying to talk ourselves up to a streaming service by having people <laughs> say like hey these guys have a bunch of weird stuff yeah. um now you know you move from uh the, the novels from charlie harwitz over to more of like a screen thing where you did a one-act play uh called the last summer now, mm -hmm. what was the thought process behind trying to hop onto like theater? Um, you know, uh, my my motto is always, you know, to be the bet to be the jack of all trades. You know, because I don't want to be like one of those like writers that gets pigeonholed into you know this area. You know, I mean, like David Mamet. You know, he's like one of my favorite um, writers. You know, he started off as a playwright, then he went on to do screenplays and and so on and so forth. You know. Um, and, and also, and then the, the last summer was based off, um, kind of, um, my, some, my last summer as a high schooler going into college that, and also, you know, with the revelation that my, like one of my characters has Asperger's, um, I have Asperger's and I thought it'd be kind of a nice little, you know, antidote to add into my play, you know, that he's suffering from Asperger's and, you know, he, I mean, of course, unlike my character in, in my play, I was I known about it since my early teens, but he didn't know about it until like in between um, his um, high school years going into his college years. So that was kind of um, where I got the last uh, summer from. Yeah, I love that idea too. Mm -hmm. Now you're now you're also working on a screenplay, which is two days in Chicago. Now, 
you you have this screenplay working and uh is there a screenplay that goes along with charlie horowitz or were you just trying to start a like scratch here's my first screenplay uh it was like um the first three charlie horowitz movies um screenplays excuse me um they were kind of like here's you know like my trilogy of screenplays you know each of them kind of Mm -hmm. in different genres you know mixed in with obviously the main genres like for the first one it's horror slasher second one's like action dark fantasy horror and then obviously kind of western horror like modern day western horror um two days in chicago is actually a completed uh screenplay i completed that um last summer and um it's it's I've always wanted to try something different with, you know, my screenplays. Like I wanted to pay tribute to like um, Michael Mann and, um, you know, all like the crime thrillers of the 90s, you know, because basically like the 90s crime thrillers are just very vibrant. It's very, you know, rich and, you know, and I tried to emulate that style in my uh, uh, screenplay. And it's what I call the 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 Chicago trilogy with, you know, two days in Chicago being number one in my trilogy. And I'm currently working on um, another film in the trilogy. And unlike the first trilogy, which is Charlie Horowitz's trilogy, the second one, the the second trilogy, the Chicago trilogy is more kind of like standalone in each film, but yet the themes are, you know, the same, you know, like a character doesn't have kids and there's a, a big crime um, that happened early in the film. And that kind of resonates throughout. Um, and yeah, that's kind of oh. uh, where I'm at in the trilogy. Cool. Yeah. I, I think trying to, you know, kind of uh, uh, recreate the Michael Mann aspect is, is, Something I think that cinema needs again. Uh, a lot of people don't realize how good Michael Mann was a director. You know, when even when you think of like even Hannibal Lecter, no one remembers that uh, Michael Mann was the first one to bring Hannibal Lecter uh, to to film. You know, with mm-hmm. Brian Cox, and uh, that is an eerie, eerie film. So it's cool to set something in Chicago and and uh, go for that kind of that texture and that grit of, of like you know, pre Miami Vice, <laughs> but like you know mm-hmm. the, the show, not the movie. Um, right <laughs> yeah that's so interesting um so you got a lot of stuff in in your pocket you know you got charlie horowitz trilogy you got the chicago trilogy you work on everything let's say that things pop off for you and you get a blank check uh what was something that you would just like to work on if you had like the big money oh man that would be uh that's a that's the million dollar question right there <laughs> um, I would say, like, if let's say Warner Brothers, like, say if my if my trilogies, whichever one picks up, I would love to, you know, have Warner Brothers, you know, call me up and say, hey, we'd like you to do um, a third film in the Tim Burton Batman movie, Ooh, you okay. know, because now that Michael Keaton's back as Batman, you know, it'd be kind of nice to, you know, work on um, a Batman movie in the in the world of Tim Burton, but. You know, I want to do something different. Like, I don't want to be titled like Batman Returns again, you know, because that, that, that's just dumb. I would just like, you know, like use like Halloween 2018 and Scream 2022 is because they would just have Halloween and Scream. I would just title mm-hmm. it Batman because you're basically going back to the basics, but you want to make it fresh. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of like what I want to do with um, the Tim Burton Batman movie should he do another film in you know his world no i absolutely love that mm-hmm. um now as far as like you know writing goes and, and everything you do, do you do you aspire to direct films also or are you just more like the the content creator of things and you want to see your images come to life or do you have desires to direct because obviously we watched snack time uh which you know was was your uh, uh short film Mm-hmm. Is that is that something you were trying to get to? Is directing? <laughs> um, you know, I mean, you know, if I feel comfortable enough, you know, because um, you know Shane Black, another um, influence for my writing, um, started off as kind of like a screenwriter, obviously with Lethal Weapon and uh, the Monster Squad. Um, then, like 
28 years later, he directed uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, you know, I mean, because he, you know, worked with other filmmakers on um, The Last Boy Scout and The Long Kiss Goodnight. Um, and then he did his own thing with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang because um, he got more comfortable with the aspects of directing. And that's kind of where I want to be, you know, at that stage and like if my career as a screenwriter kicks off, you know, build my repertoire, work with directors and learn from them how they direct their movies. So that way one day if I decide, hey, I want to not only write this movie, but direct the film, then I would be more than happy to, um, you know, direct that film. Yeah. So we watch a lot of things and we consume a lot of media that really just kind of pushes us to be like, okay, we really got to try harder to get at this. Or, you know, maybe it'll even say we got to really dabble into fantasy or whatever. Um, what was the last thing that you consumed that really motivated you in, in a particular way? Um, like, uh, like, like, a, like a film or TV show? Sure. Well, um, media. And, and, and I'll preface it because Dylan and I went to the movies and we saw everything everywhere all at once. And mm. that movie kind of broke my brain because yeah. as, as, as what I think I am, which is a content creator, uh, seeing something that I could not come up with, uh, knowing that I can come up with a lot of weird ideas. And, and this is something that I was like, I could not have thought of this. And that is motivating in such a weird way for me to really push myself to just keep going. Um, is, is there something that really just affected you uh, in, in any sort of way? Um, well, I would say like uh, the, the new Batman movie with Robert Pattinson was kind of like, wow, this is what Charlie Horowitz should be. You know, it kind of was like a mix of like 1970s, like Scorsese, De Palma, um, Francis Ford Coppola with like elements of the 90s. Like he, he kind of got a little hint of Michael Mann and um, Richard Donner. And, you know, you got elements of those, you know, and even The Crow, you know, like like the Brandon Lee Crow movie. You got a little bit of that and Ridley Scott's Blade Runner in The Batman. And that's kind of that's what Charlie Horowitz needs to be. It needs to look like, I mean, cinematography, the performances, the way it looks. I mean, yeah, mind you, it, it kind of has like a John Hughes feel like the first Charlie Hurwitz movie. <laughs> like, I don't want to make it too dark, you know, like I kind of wanted to start off as like a John Hughes movie. And then all of a sudden when he gets, when my lead character gets killed, boom, it switches, you know, to like a David Fincher, you know, esque, you know, feel. I love it. that. Yeah, I mean, if if you're gonna have a crime, especially in like Chicago, you need a gritty, wet city. I mean, that, that's a fact. Yeah. Chicago, Chicago yeah. needs to be dirty and wet, uh, and that lets you know, like, okay, we're in a serious business here. Um, Dylan, do you have any more questions for Mister Furman before we hop on to what we do in this show? I think I, I think you kind of asked all of them for me. I did. I found your notes. Yeah. Uh, well, don't leave your notes at my house. I told I've... you. <laughs> <laughs> uh mr Furman, you you are an amazing you're an amazing content creator we we thoroughly enjoy uh what we've found so far that, that we can consume uh we are really looking forward to how charlie horowitz turns out if that does keep going because uh nine movies i'm expecting at least one more novel out of that so um yeah so that, that's really cool and, and once again thank you for being on the show um so what we do now is we're going to pitch to you an original idea um that one of us have had uh, and have uh, most likely me and texting Dylan and that he doesn't respond to me. That's how I know that it's a good idea. Um, but we're going to pitch ideas to you, and then uh, preferably you let us know which one you like better. Um, now I'm going to go first, Dylan. Yeah, go first. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Okay. So I had this idea, uh, and it was it, it was kind of based around the idea of like of, of a worldwide shared dream. And it was like within like a 24-hour expand of time everyone had the exact same dream from the same point of view and somehow it kind of let people know that like the end of the world was coming in let's just say eight months however they figured this out and what i want to explore in this is what would happen with the knowledge that the world is going to go away in eight months uh what would reddit do um you know, with the knowledge of like, hey, uh, we saw this person's dream. Maybe let's try to track down who the origin of the dream is. And then what would people do? Say that there's like a like a pregnant uh, couple and they're going to have a child. Well, they were questioning whether or not to have a baby. 
and that baby should come right around the same time. So uh, it's kind of what what people would do with the knowledge that they have eight months left. That's what I would like to explore. Uh, Dylan, do you, do you have... my only feedback for that idea is that it sounds familiar. Well, I have a lot of ideas, Dylan. You probably you heard do. this one. You probably heard this one. Sure. <laughs> Go ahead, my friend. Uh, yeah. So, uh, let's. You got a washed-up minor league stock car racer, like NASCAR, but minor league in like Kentucky or Tennessee or something. Uh, Kale Lonehart Jr. Uh, he's really bummed about not being super good at driving, so he find. He, somehow finds 120-year-old corn whiskey, which unbeknownst to him has been cursed by an Appalachian witch. He drinks it, and he wakes up in the American 1920s and finally finds a spot where he fits in as a Prohibition bootleg driver running from the cops during Prohibition. Does he stay? Does he try to get home? Does he screw with the timeline? I don't know. That's the pitch. <laughs> what was this guy's name again? <laughs> Kale Lonehart Jr. <laughs> 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 it's worth it for the name alone that's pretty good <laughs> no i absolutely love that what, uh, what a good idea okay uh mr Furman. uh yes. pretty, pretty please which one of these two stupid ideas uh would you like to play around with for the next uh x minutes oh wow um i would say probably the uh um, i mean both these are really good ideas don't get me wrong um i would say probably uh yours zach like because it kind of you know has kind of like that um ai artificial intelligence um blade runner looper kind of kind of vibe and even yeah. children of men kind of vibe nice. you know and that kind of like kind of like high See? concept you know that's a high concept uh, uh dylan terry you cannot come up with this kind of stuff just so of course you know. not uh, this, nope. is, this is high concept <laughs> this okay, kind perfect. of stuff being an idea that gets chosen <laughs> 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 That's true. I don't think I don't think you've had a a, uh, a winning idea in all of season two so far. I don't think uh, so. And that's fine think, with me. I'm just gonna yeah. do all these by myself. That's okay. Well then how well, then what would you do for the second half of the show? Uh, none of your I'll, ideas would get picked. Anyway, my, okay, so what we're gonna do with the rest of the show is we're gonna figure out what to do if you have a really crazy idea, uh something that is very, very smart, uh very intelligent, and something that Dylan Terry cannot come up with. Um, so let's go ahead and get that going. Um, okay, Dylan. So Dylan Furman. Oh, oh yeah. okay. 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 No, I didn't mean to call you Dylan. I'm sorry, Mr. Furman. No, that's all right. <laughs> okay. So you, you, you wake up, you have this crazy idea and you're like, this is worth my time investing in. Right. And, and this is the idea. What, what are some things that, what's the initial thing that you do? Do you kind of write down uh, the first idea? Do you start working on characters in that? Uh, what What's like, what's the first kind of, first couple of things that, that pop into your brain for that well obviously i want to like imagine what the movie would look like you know in terms would it be set in present day or the future or in an alternate reality and after i you know imagine what that movie would look like in terms of the setting you know then i would write down like my characters you know like who would be the protagonist who would be the antagonist would there be an antagonist or would the antagonist be the protagonist? You know, like what would I do um, with that? You know, like how I yeah. go from there, and then obviously write down the supporting characters. And um, cool. So, yeah. all right, let's just say that because uh, of how technology is currently, and because we're trying to give uh, a little bit more of a thought process to the story, let's let's set it right now. Uh, I think Reddit is very popular of what it's doing. It's really kind of uh, <laughs> good at uh, investigating certain things. So we'll say that it's now, and we'll say everyone over you know the last, like I said, 24 hours only because I guess people are sleeping different times a day probably. Uh, then they all have the same exact dream through you know this first person's point of view. So it is it is now 2022. Things aren't great, right? COVID's out there. Uh, still knocking on people's doors occasionally. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, things are what they are. Now we have this knowledge, right? And it kind of, I would say it starts off kind of in a weird way where uh, maybe somebody wakes up and they're like, that was a weird dream. Mm. And then they go to work and they're like, did you see the news? Did you have that dream? And then everyone's and like, just immediately everyone's like, 
wait, this is like a thing. This is happening, right? And I, I like the idea of almost like chaotic news kind of coming in, like people trying to remember what they saw and like maybe some sketches uh, of, of maybe if they saw a person in the thing. Um, but then I would like to kind of pop forward a little bit further uh, so that the knowledge is out there. Everyone knows this is a thing. Um, so that we're setting ourselves a little bit after the beginning of the dream, but still months away from the ending. Um, and I would, Dylan Terry. Sure. When, when you think of uh, of something like this, what vision do you have for it? Like what, what director, well, I guess you would see this as a movie first, right? That's what we normally do. We kind of take an idea of like, what is this? Is this a comic book? Is this a podcast? Is this a movie, a short film? And this seems like it has the possibility of being a feature film, right? I, I assumed it would be a, a movie. Yeah. Yeah, a feature. All right, so let's give this movie uh, uh, aesthetics. Let's give it like a cinematographer or a director group um, just so we know what this is looking at. So we're going to have a lot of interpersonal workings, uh, probably some computer hacking effects, uh, and then also a lot of fast-paced uh, crap going on because the world's going to go. So who do you see? Aaron Sorkin. Oh, okay. Mm. Aaron Sorkin. That's a walking talker, right? Yeah, but it's a walk and talk. Um, but oh yeah, it's true. Um, maybe uh, well, if you have someone coordinating stuff, who who directed Enemy of the State? Tony Scott. Tony Scott. That's what I want to see. Okay, I want to see like a Tony Scott like camera zooming in on weird things sometimes for no reason then you see like people sitting down on a park bench and then pigeons fly off and it's like they're handing each other newspapers with uh envelopes and stuff i think yeah tony scott's great um true romance right that tony scott? No. Mm-hmm. yeah that was tony scott yeah see told you okay yeah you just pushed <laughs> the right button for zach <laughs> <laughs> look i'm a 90s kid till i die and uh for, for what you were saying it seems like you're roughly around the same so that's great that's why we're best friends dylan Furman. dylan terry you're no longer oh. on the show um okay so we have the idea uh we have a, a nice little visionary here now mr Furman. so you... <laughs> <laughs> dylan terry look you i know your desk is mobile <laughs> i do anyway. love i do love being in this corner this is not the fir- this is not the first show i've been in that's, this corner that's season two corner for dylan terry you need to step your game up my friend okay so now we have um uh, how this movie is going to look it has that tony scott kind of gritty little bit of texture to the film kind of a look to it um pre lens flares uh now we have um the fact this is a feature film and we start building up some characters right now in this setting mr Furman, what would you say is probably the most weirdest or impressive part that that people would try to explore in this world um, I would say probably the weirdest and most impressive part would be kind of like how, you know, we're like so jumpy, you know, to like react to like with like say something that a meteor the size of Texas would come to Earth. And we were, we're just like, you know, people's reactions would be like, yeah, I knew that was coming. Or there would be something that would be, oh, we're going to die. We're going to die. You know, it, it basically kind of like, um, kind of like, uh, don't look up, you know, kind of like yeah. that reaction mm-hmm. would be because because that, that to me is kind of like the most realist reaction to like new something, something to that, you know, basically you have like a mix of reactions from yeah. people who are just like, hmm, I knew that or, hey, you know, that's all right. And then you have people that are just really screaming and, you know, mm-hmm. creating like bunkers underneath their houses, you know. Now- now, if, if you were trying to put this into, say, a two-hour movie, would you think the smartest thing to do would maybe to find, like, a couple groups of people and then try to find a way for them to come together at the end? Or would you maybe just follow one person throughout as things are affecting to them? Or what what would you kind of see in this? Um, I would see this like an ensemble uh, movie. I mean, Deep Impact, you know, is probably the best ensemble movie that – you know, it's about, you know, like yeah. the quote unquote end of the world. And, you know, it's just, I, I, I'm a big fan of ensemble movies. I figured, you know, because everyone gets to shine. You know, it's not always the lead character and someone stealing the show. Yeah. You know, it's basically everyone, you know, steals the show. You know, and they're, they're unique in their own respective, you know, 
worlds. So, so Dylan Terry, if we were to, uh, <laughs> that's all I'm going to call you from now on. Dylan right. Terry. You're uh, not the first. Well, obviously it's your name. Why would I be the first? That's crazy. Um, so let's say that we had like, uh, uh, pockets of four groups of people, um, and then having them all not interact at first, but kind of coming together at the end somehow. Right. Uh, what would those groups of people think? I, I, I would think there would be a, a group of Redditors that are really trying to figure out who the origin of the dream is. Right. Yeah. Make them a bunch of uh, like STEM college kids who are all in a dorm suite together. So that way they have a reason to be close in proximity. Yeah. And they're all techie and they're all uh-huh. they all have free time to pursue this. And then you have the weirdness of like, we don't know if the dream is real. Do we keep going to school and taking it seriously? And you have yeah. the one kid who's like, yeah, this entire thing was a shared hallucination. This is not really going to happen. There's no proof the world's going to end. I have to study. Yeah. And then you have all the other kids who are like, they're going to give us A's if it's not true. We all went through a shared trauma. Like, they're not going to hold us to some sort of standard. This is ridiculous. All right. So I like I like a group of, of techies that are really trying to understand this. Uh, I just had the idea of what what if in this world someone hasn't gone to sleep yet, right? Like they, they're just one of the last ones to not sleep. They haven't All had right. the dream. And then maybe the news is kind of getting around them being like, okay, so as soon as you go to sleep, we need you to tell us everything you see, right? So let's also maybe have uh, one of those people being the last sleeper. So the, the tired how long can you go without sleep? Thanks, Google. Let's see. About 11 days before you die. Yeah. Well, after like the second day, you start kind of hallucinating a little yep. bit. Um, trust me. It gets weird. After day four, but, you get back to normal again. I mean, if we want this to be on, we can have make a movie that takes place over a long period of time where like <laughs> a group of maybe like sleep scientists or something have notice and they're and they wake up and they go, you can't who hasn't gone to sleep yet? Don't go to sleep. We have to we have to figure something out. And it's like we have to run this experiment. You're going to stay up as long as we can keep you awake without hurting yourself and then we'll see if the dream changed. Does yeah, it change? Uh, all right, that's cool. So a group of sleep scientists that have uh, another group of people that have not slept yet and their uh efforts to keep them awake so that they can interview them one at a time after they wake up for subtle changes. That's pretty interesting. Okay, Mr. Furman, what would be another group of people that would have a hard time with this other than obviously the elite that would just try to either push us away and not even pay attention? Uh, I guess probably, you know, like blue collar workers, you know, like factory workers, you know, farmers, you know, people who, you know, are just kind of like, you know, clocking in and then other people go in, clock out and work the night shift, you know, kind of, kind of deal. And yeah, that's kind of like, where the, the those people could probably just like, hey, you know, where yeah. You? No, I think that's cool too. So we'll do like a like a tiny community, like a tiny small town, um, and in that small town, we'll have like that that pregnant couple that maybe we talked about. Uh, that way, that if if they were maybe possibly contemplating, you know, having an abortion or whatever else, and now this would just lay on them you know so uh i like them being in the small town and maybe this town's a bit religious and maybe because i also had this weird idea that if if for some reason this worldwide catastrophe happens to line up with some crazy religion or a normal religion uh that religion would kind of take over and be like see we told you right so if that tiny community is part of whatever that religion is uh that might be kind of interesting to explore that like how would religious people actually handle the end of the world through their eyes proof proof right <laughs> right um now dylan what would you say dylan terry what would you say is another group of people that would need to uh, have to do something with this knowledge uh i mean in these end of the world movies you always have the group of people who completely go full on like bacchanal like full on just like self-indulgent chaos rave oh so you got, you know, you got, I don't know, some some people who have really just like, hey, world's ending, and if it's not, I'll deal with it then. Just yeah. full on, just like. So preppers slash purgers. I, yeah, though I would imagine just like, it would be like Burning Man for eight months. 
right. Yeah, I'm into that. Uh, so, come, so, to the, come to the desert. Yeah. Money. Who, who gives a shit about money now that the world's going to end? We're just we're going to ride this thing out. We're yeah. just going to let the whole thing unwind around us. And if we wake up the day after that, that date, who says we have to stop or something like that? I don't know. Yeah, I'm into that, and we can even maybe put a bunch of uh, maybe a couple like white collar, maybe stockbrokers in there, because like the stock market is yeah. gonna be crazy if people are like, "Look, I'm not buying this anymore. I'm not paying for Disney Plus." All include <laughs> all inclusive Doom Ravers. Right. All right. Cool. So they're starting this weird own little faction in Middle America. Um, all right. Cool. So now we have a bunch of people that we can follow throughout this incident. Now, uh, Mr. Furman, what would you say is an interesting apocalyptic thing. I think when I first had this idea, uh, the, the initial idea was that somehow people would know that all their problems would go away. And I really couldn't make that make sense in my brain. So then it turned into end of the world because then it was just like, look, they don't care anymore. Now asteroids been done. Uh, alien takeover has been done. What, what's something that maybe uh, we could bring back or that we could, highlight being the end of this specific world um yeah i think like john carpenter's prince of darkness was probably the best you know kind of end of the world thing because you know you got like obviously the main film taking place in 1987 then everyone gets to sleep they have like these like we're transmitting from the year 1999 and then you have like clips of like this like thin man-esque you know prince of darkness and then all of a sudden spoiler alert you know one of the characters that got sucked into the to the mirror is in mm -hmm. the the possessing this woman and it's the guy's girlfriend that you know comes out of the church and she's like all you know opening her arms and you know and that's kind of like that's kind of like for me the best inspiration for yours you know your story, yeah. Zach, is, you know, Prince of Darkness because you got like a mix of, you know, real time kind of real world year setting. And then you have the dream sequence, which is like in VHS format. And then you have like voiceovers like we're transmitting from the year so and so. And then, you know, then you cut to yeah. the scene where, you know, there's this evil entity, you know, flailing his arms inside a church. And it's just like a white light, you know, booming behind him and it's just like it, it it really is probably the scariest you know scene in prince of darkness and i have not thought of that movie in so long what a yeah. great reference okay so dylan let let dylan terry let's start working on what this dream uh is is going to kind of encapsulate mm -hmm. um now it, we would have to have the originator of the dream and i think for the audience that this is they would need to be in america right yeah uh just for clues that's we'll in the see, dream we'll see worldwide stuff but i think at least like most of these characters are probably localized in america yeah i i mean the the dreamer <laughs> oh sure the originator of sure. the dream right there yeah. just for the most thing where it's like maybe just kansas uh nothing is real going on maybe yeah. it's a nascar driver from tennessee uh i have no idea um <laughs> uh, all right so this uh, yeah let, let's kind of dive into who the one person is that has a dream because if they wake up and they have the dream too they're like yeah i had the same dream but that was me because they would know that's like their apartment or house or whatever it is right they would know yeah. like this is my stuff like that was yeah. my pictures or whatever um so uh dylan terry who do what would you think this dream comes to people how does that how does that look uh well it needs to be it needs to it needs to be convincingly real enough that people think it's like potentially prophetic yeah so it, it needs to have enough clues that we could conceivably have someone hunt this person down mm -hmm. based on what they see but we don't want it to be too obvious that they're just like oh uh it says highway 42 towards oklahoma city and the mail envelope on the counter clearly gives this address for an apartment building in Tulsa. Yeah. And okay. So yeah, like that. Yeah. That's well, I, I like that. So not very obvious. So maybe the dream could be uh first person real time. Cause some dreams are like flash, 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 flash. You know, like, yeah. what, what was that? So let's say that this is a person waking up in a bed, um, sitting up, maybe seeing a clock. 
right? So you know what time it is, wherever they are, right? Uh, yeah. They 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 walk through their apartments. Not a whole lot of stuff is on there, but maybe the maybe there's something on the news. Maybe like the TV's on, and there's a specific channel, and the channel has something on it. Because uh, I'm trying to give the redditors clues to try to whittle it down. So if it's right. like a uh, um, you know channel three. Uh, whatever, and it's uh, Jerry Springer, then you probably know, hey, that's Cincinnati or wh- wherever right. he's from. Um, so I like that. And and maybe the duration of the dream, although it, it is the full time you're asleep, the duration of the dream sequence is only like It's like two 12 minutes. seconds. Oh, okay. Oh, well, I was, I was saying like very short. I'm thinking short too, but like enough where you can pick up stuff and you're like, oh, so, okay, so I'm in somebody's body I, I, I yeah it's like a being john malkovich feel yeah and then they open the door um and the crazy prince of darkness shits out there uh which i yeah. think is very interesting because I, I never really thought about having an entity being the one to end the world which is super cool because i think my brain always works in like a cyclical way where i was thinking like the dream started people being crazy people being crazy is what caused the end of the world but it was the it was them yeah. starting it are the reason that that's how all of my stupid stories end up it's like but what if they're the ones that did it to begin with mm-hmm. um so i like it being an entity um okay dylan terry so <laughs> we have a feature like film we have roughly four sects of people Plus the one that is the person, the origin, originator of the dream. Mm-hmm. We want to have this about uh, two hours long. So what would you think are a good three arc structure for this kind of thing? I mean, for an ensemble movie like this, you got to have like, you know, you start off with everybody just kind of like adapting to the changing circumstances. Easy act one. I think act two is that one of these groups becomes aware of who this person is in a way that does not put them at an advantage. You know what I mean? Where like they become aware, they know they figure out who this person is, but it winds up being in a way that they can't go wide about it Mm. or something like that. I don't know what that would, I don't know how that would. Well, I mean, technically like say, say you had this dream, right. Mm -hmm. And I know what your place looks like. Yeah. So if I had the dream too, I'd be like, that was in Dylan's house. Yeah. You know, so there has to be a couple people that would know, like, hey, this is this is jo- John Q. Public's dream. Yeah. Who lives on the third floor. I mean, are they already dead? The the original dream is dead? Yeah. Dang. So we can't even interview them? No. Okay. That's cool. That's I mean, either like like maybe they're maybe it was sort of a small town person and a lot of people from the small town like were like listen we don't know what's going on but you're you live here we know you our kids go to school together we're not going to do anything about this we're not going to tell anybody you're there but one person is like nice <laughs> oh they Pop. got murdered because they had the dream <laughs> what yeah i, I don't know Dude, that's I, crazy okay maybe that's that. maybe that's too much but no, i huh? think you know, everybody's trying to find this person. Turns out they're yeah. already dead. No, I think that's very cool. Um, now, Mr. Furman, when so you have now you have this idea, you have a couple like maybe some scenes, you have a couple storyline ideas. How far into the process do you hop to the end? And you're like, I need to know how this ends. Because we find as as we're writing some of these weird stories, like, let's just figure the ending out so we know what you know, we got A. What's the B? But now we need to get to the C. Uh, so how, how soon into stories do you think you work on the ending? Or do you just allow the story to, to do its thing? Um, I would like go back to obviously page one and just read what I wrote. You know, mm-hmm. like start like for act one, page one, all the way to my last page. So that way, hey, I think I cracked the ending. You know, I just write down, you know, like who did this and who did that and what happens, you know, that way I'm not just, you know, kind of like ending it, you know, kind of rushed, you know, I want to take my time and make sure that the story from page one makes sense all the way to like the last page I wrote that way. If I write the ending, I can just continue like, Oh my God, I did not see that coming. You know, you want to be surprised because if you, if you're not surprised, that basically just ruins the whole movie for you. 
Yeah, true. All right, so so Dylan Terry, we have uh, we have this setup. So we have uh, roughly arc one. I would say getting to the first arc will be finding out who this person is uh, that had the dream, right? As we're kind of speckling in stories of these these groups of people, then we find this person is been murdered because they had the dream. So we don't really know who they were or what's going on with them. Um, now, if we were to hop to the end in a situation like this, where we have told the audience the end in the beginning of the movie, do we have to end with the end? I mean, are we going to reveal that the dream is 100% accurate or false, or are we not going to reveal it? Like, well, yeah, that, that's my question. Like, do you think it's, do you think it's a cop out when uh, it, it kind of ends in a way where you're like, Oh man, is this, did this happen? <laughs> I think it works. If, um, I think it works. If, we make it enough of about the characters that at the end, the audience doesn't necessarily need to know whether the world is ending, just that they have reached their emotional catharsis. Like yeah, the college kids, maybe the college kids do hunt down the person. They discover that the person was killed and they're like, well, shit. I mean, and then they, they come to some greater understanding of themselves through it. And then the sleep scientists, uh, I mean, the sleep scientist thing can be peppered in for world building and flavor, and that's and like sci-fi rule building. Yeah, the like blue collar blue collar workers another personal story. Maybe it's like you know they come to understand like I'm not living to build bus parts at this small town factory that produces school buses, and one of them has a better relationship with their family due to it. And then the Doom Ravers, you have your like young kids coming to terms with their mortality or something like that. And at the end of the movie, it's like. I mean, tomorrow's the day. What are we doing about it? Yeah, I don't know. What have we been doing about it? Do we need to change anything? I guess not. Maybe, you know, maybe the real end of the world with the friends we made along the way. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So if you're playing <laughs> the end of the nobody, world was inside you all along. If, if you're playing some, some nobody's bingo at home, uh, you probably just got a pretty important square because Dylan yeah. will always tell you it's about the friends you made along the way. Um, Mr. Furman. Now, when you're working on a project, uh, you need that title in your brain so you know what you're working on. How how far into a project do you say, like, this thing needs a name? And then what's your naming process? Um, well, I just kind of, you know, kind of start with my title. And if, I, if something changes, like when I'm writing the script, I would just, like, read through the script from its entirety and I would just like, you know what? This title is not kind of like what the film's about. And I would just retitle it to, you know, this. And um, yeah, that's kind of how I would go about naming my films. Yeah. I think when I when I first had this idea, my the, the name of it was... Uh, what living was it? the dream. Living the dream. Because it was like everyone had to live this person's dream and i thought that was kind of interesting then um then it kind of changed uh dylan changed it to uh something way more clever which is lucidity's end um which would be obviously the end of uh you know holding on to your own dreams or correcting them clear thought yeah yeah uh what do you think about either one of those two or a better title um i i would i would probably go the hp lovecraft route and just say at the dreams of madness or you know something kind of because it, it feels kind of like like a John Carpenter you know in the mouth of madness Prince of Darkness yeah. vibe you know to yeah. it and I would just continue <laughs> with that naming convention. I love that. Uh, I'm so happy you came on the show. You are such an interesting, cool person, and we love your thought process. We love uh, the Horror Witch trilogy. We we're going to love the Chicago trilogy, and literally, we're going to keep typing your name into Google and uh, checking on you and making sure things are going great. So, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for spending any and all of your time uh, hanging out and talking to us. That's cool. No, no problem. I, I appreciate you guys um, inviting me on the show, and um, I, I hope to do this again sometime. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we're going to put links to uh, Snack Time. We're going to put links to uh, Charlie Horowitz novels. We're going to try to put links to everything that we can in the show notes below. So if you're watching this, uh, get in those notes down there and, and click on that and find out what Mr. Furman's up to because it is interesting and amazing stuff. Um, 
And uh, yeah, thank you guys for paying attention. We love it. Yeah. And if you don't know, we are uh, we've been awarded a couple awards this uh, this past year. We have a podcast of the year for one of our shows called No Time to Binge. Uh, we have uh, a, a couple. We got some stuff. A few of them. So, like I always them. say, open up anything that you're on on your phone, your tablet, or your Tamagotchi, and just type in some <laughs> nobodies, and you're gonna see some cool stuff that Dylan writes and that I say, or that I say and Dylan scoffs at. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> uh don't care do you have any words for our friends out there no love it thank you very much uh he has been dylan Furman. he has been dylan terry <laughs> i have been zach wiseman but you've been great have a great day everybody bye, bye thank guys. you so much bye bye